Hernando Cortez was a monster of a man. Over six feet tall and 225 pounds of rippling muscle in an age when 5'5 five, five and 75 pounds less was more the norm. Although born to a family of lesser nobility, he was definitely not your common, pampered, wealthy kid. Today we would say he worked out for four hours a day. And it was for a very specific purpose. He was preparing for warfare. Given his position and his effort, you can see how he could gain the political clout necessary to be commissioned to examine the new world. And then there was the necessary, more difficult issue, the effort of raising the financing for the trip. This required all his good looks, his education, and his charm. Because comparatively, it cost as much to go to the New World then as going to the moon did for our country. Given his aggressive personality, <laughs> and considering all the work involved, you can understand why failure was not an option to Cortez. When they reached the New World, he made the motivational speeches, This New World opens up a new age for us. Of course, he promised great riches to each and every man. But the greatest motivation for his men and for him was that after everything was unloaded and prepared for the advance, their ships burned at anchor. <laughs> uh, now, it may or may not be true that Cortez set them aflame, but none of that matters. There was no going back. The only way available was forward. So Cortez was really right. <laughs> it was a new age, and they would enter it. And it is quite true to say that the world has never been the same from that point on. But a greater change happened at another time in history. A change that shook the foundations of the entire universe. A change that arced like some gigantic bolt of lightning from one dimension to another, from the spiritual universe to the physical universe. This change is exactly that which the writer to the Hebrews addressed in the section of his sermon that we in our modern age have divided out as chapter 6. It is in fact the center of history for the cosmos. The greatest change ever took place. The last time we looked at the first section of this sermon, for that's what the book of Hebrews is, his entire concern was the superiority of the person of the Christ. He was a better revelation. He's God. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. And he is a better high priest. He's the only one that came from heaven appointed by God. And the sacrifice he offers gives eternal life. Today, we're going to look at our author's contention that one must accept the superior way of Christ to be called the people of God. In effect, he's saying, we're entering a new age. There is no going back. The ships are burned. We must press forward. So, 
Let us press forward. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Sounds good. Let's get beyond the basic introduction to Christianity. What we might call evangelism. You must repent of your sins. Admit you are a sinner. Have faith towards God. Believe Jesus can and will save you. Washings means baptisms and laying on of hands was part of the ceremony of accepting people into Judaism and now into the church. Together these two men commit your life to Christ. Our ABCs. And he says, let's get past this basic information. Even teachings about resurrection and eternal judgment, by which he means you're either going to heaven or hell. <laughs> let's get past these basic teachings. And we want to cheer him on. And why wouldn't we? And wait. Why wouldn't they be able to? And this we will do, if God permits. Whoa. If God permits why wouldn't he permit further growth in understanding? For it is impossible. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Why wouldn't God permit some to go on to maturity? Because it's impossible. Remember Moses and the first generation out of Egypt? Our writer dealt with them earlier. They couldn't go back to Egypt and remain the people of God. <sighs> but in their hearts, they did go back to Egypt. So they weren't allowed to receive the rest that the true people of God were given. Okay. But what's our author saying to the Jews to whom he is writing? You can't go back to the Old Covenant and remain the people of God. It's that straightforward. <laughs> now it helps if we want to understand to pay attention to the four things he describes as being enlightened. Tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of God, and the powers of the age to come. So clearly the first and third, those things they tasted, were meant to be parallel. So obviously the second and fourth go together also. Heavenly gift, goodness of God. Holy Spirit, powers of the age to come. That old generation tasted the gift of freedom from their oppressors, the goodness of God, via Moses. But they didn't leave. <laughs> they didn't leave the wilderness. They wanted to go back. Our writer's audience had tasted the gift of freedom from sin through Jesus but some haven't left the wilderness. Moses' generation had seen the work of the Holy Spirit, his power revealed in miracle after miracle. These first century Jews had seen the work of the Holy Spirit revealed in power in Jesus Christ. Most incredibly, he rose from the dead. And, as our writer has clearly pointed out already, is in heaven now ruling with the Father. It was impossible for that first generation to go back to Egypt. But because they did in their hearts, they also couldn't enter the promised land. The author of this book is reporting a sad truth. There were Jews of his time who were going back to the old covenant in their hearts. 
And the old covenant, the old age, was over. Because the new has come and you can't go back. So those Jews who have turned their back on the truth of the coming of the Messiah would share in the sad fate of those who had turned their back on the freedom offered by the Holy Spirit through Moses. It is impossible for them to enter the new covenant age as the people of God. To do so would be like crucifying Christ all over again. This is a kind of a side note for you. Do you know that it's probable that some of those who listened to this letter as it was first read had watched Jesus being crucified? Now you know your love for Christ. Imagine the thought of having to watch him be crucified. I'm watching the Passion of the Christ, if you did, that was bad enough. And, and no matter how realistic, we knew that was just acting. Can you imagine having to watch the actual crucifixion? Now consider those who love Christ as you do, but who actually saw Christ die. To do what those unbelieving Jews were doing is like living it all over again. Would you want to? You maybe understand now the force of what our writer is saying. He thunders, do you want to see Jesus on the cross again? And each one would say, no, no, let me die before that. It is impossible for those who were brought out of the old covenant age into the new and yet have rejected Jesus, as those people long ago rejected Moses, to be restored again as the people of God. You'd have to go back and crucify Christ once again. You understand now why our writer took so much time showing how Christ was superior to anything or anyone that came to this earth before him? If the generation that came out of Egypt was found to be at fault and they only rejected a physical freedom and a mere human in Moses, how terrible it is when these reject a spiritual freedom and the Son of God. To take people who saw God working in and through Jesus Christ and yet refuse to enter into the new age and give them an additional chance to do so would mean crucifying Christ again. Can't do it. In fact, it's impossible to do it. But there's more going on here. People were thought of in groups then. People groups our American individuality, which I very much love, <laughs> and I think is a result of our Christian viewpoint, would have seemed foolishness to them. Indeed, incomprehensible. Before Christ, the people of God was defined as the people of Israel. The group of people who were Israel. Our writer is talking here about the nation of Israel that rejected Christ. And now he illustrates this point. For land that has drunk the rain, that often falls in it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Israel and the land is a nearly inseparable idea, almost like it's impossible to have one without the other. 
when you read through the Old Testament, you will constantly find the writers illustrating Israel's spiritual condition with images involving agriculture, the land. A very popular motif is the fig tree. If its leaves are said to fall or its fruit not to come to bear, then that's an indication that Israel is in trouble. Jesus also used this agricultural means to speak of Israel. Remember the parable of the soils. If the seed falls on hard soil, on the path, the birds eat it up before it even starts to grow. If the seed falls on shallow soil, it springs up but dies before it ever produces anything. If the seed falls among the thorns, it grew but was choked out and didn't produce good fruit. But the seed that fell on good soil yields 30, 60, 100 times what was planted. You see, Jesus was speaking to the people of Israel. Israel was supposed to be the good soil. <laughs> they really weren't. Here's another parable of Jesus that follows the same kind of farming path, but it's preceded by some current events. There were some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dressers, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit in this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit the next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. To us, well, this seems very strange. Jesus goes from current stories of murdered Jews and some killed in a disaster to that story of the fig tree. What's the connection? His hearers would have understood. Obviously, the fig tree is Israel. And they had better get it right, or the nation, as the people of God, would be cut down, would no longer be the people of God. Remember that other time when Jesus used an actual fig tree as an illustration? On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to his roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look! The fig tree that you cursed has withered. This always seemed so very odd to me. <laughs> Why would Jesus curse a poor innocent fig tree? Well, when we understand the symbolism, then we get it. The fig tree is Israel. This happened just before Jesus was arrested and crucified. Just before Israel, as a nation, the people of God, 
would be presented with the truth. From that truth, they would have to make the right decision. They would have to bear fruit or be cut off. At the moment, they noticed the withered fig tree. The disciples didn't really get the significance. Later, they would. Everything our writer to the Hebrews has said and will say hinges on this point. Will you, Israel, leave the old age, the old covenant, and move to the new? If you do, you are the people of God. If you don't, it is impossible for you to be the people of God. Because the old covenant, the old way, no longer defines the people of God. And there is no going back. Back then, Israel, as a group, had to make a decision. Follow Christ or be cut off. Some Jews had to leave behind centuries of tradition and family to follow Christ or be cut off. That begs the question, (laughs) can a person today get to a point where it is impossible for them to believe? Can a person walking the earth today be cut off as a person of God? Well, clearly not in this sense. Nobody alive today was alive in the Old Covenant time. But if they will not accept the New Covenant, Jesus, then, well, it is impossible for them to be saved. There is only one way. I think, as I've said it before, if a person has a heartbeat, (laughs) they could come to Christ. But if they will not accept the free gift of God, then they will not be saved. No one can be saved except through Christ. So in that sense, I suppose it is impossible for some to be the people of God. But our writer has some really, really good news. (laughs) Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Those who were still listening and had accepted or would accept Christ. They had joyfully entered the new age and left the old behind, like Egypt in the rear view mirror. <laughs> These people believed when they still lived in the old age, and now they have accepted the truth of the new age, things that belong to salvation. They have salvation. And from now on, our writer seeks to encourage these believers. And he starts right here, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the same full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God knows you've done good work in love and He is faithful. So, the writer says, in words inspired by the Holy Spirit, be as earnest, as for sure, as dedicated as God is. But dedicated to what? To have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Uh... (laughs) Great! What does that mean? (laughs) Well, Paul wrote, 
let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In other words, keep being faithful as God is faithful. And the teachings that follow this section will help them be faithful. Keep doing good because eventually God makes sure it all works out. Be faithful as God is faithful. Two sides, same coin. For those people hearing this sermon, not all that long after Jesus was raised from the dead, how could they know that they would be faithful? How could they know they wouldn't be like all those other Jews? How can we know we will be faithful to the end? Not like those shallow soil imitation Christians. Because God is faithful. It's not about us. (laughs) Our author said it this way, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. God promised Abraham a son. But when God made his promise, he didn't just say it. He also made an oath. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me me (laughs) something like that for people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation two points people make oaths swear by something greater than themselves so help me God second people make an oath as their final confirmation that what they say is true is valid it's for sure it's fixed So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Isn't it wonderful that God would go to this length to encourage some mere humans Not just say it, but also make an oath. You need to understand that when God promised Abraham, he didn't just promise him a son. More than being the father of one, he would become the father of many nations. There was also the promise of the land. But greatest of all, the promise that in his seed, his descendant, all the world would be blessed. Why was this such a wonderful promise to we who have fled for refuge? Because Jesus is the seed who was promised. And God, who cannot lie, said it and swore to it. Our forgiveness in Christ is guaranteed by God himself. Now that's some strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We will make it because God will make sure we make it. Before we read the last part of this section, we need to make sure we know some of what those early Jewish believers all all knew. It has to do with how the old system operated. It was possible to gain forgiveness of sins through the old system looking forward to the Messiah, the Christ. Once a year, the high priest would go into the temple, into the holy place, 
and then passed the curtain into the Holy of Holies. There he offered a sacrifice for sin, his own and those of the people of the nation, all the people of God. But now it's the new age. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus entered the real most holy place, the place in the temple was just a representation of the real place, with the final sacrifice himself. You remember that the curtain between the holy place and the most holy place in the Jerusalem temple was torn in two when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. Now understand, only one person, only once a year, could go beyond that curtain into that most holy place where God would make his presence known and forgiveness of sins would be offered. And now Jesus has made it possible for us to go beyond the curtain in the real Holy of Holies. We can as our writer earlier said, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace because Jesus makes a way for us. Now that is some strong encouragement. We need all of us to go on to maturity, to get past the basic ABCs of Christianity. We need to tell people about the amazing way that Jesus has made for us Will there be some who refuse to hear it? I'm afraid so. John the Apostle, much later, wrote about some who he called Antichrist. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They went out, that it might become plain that they were not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. There were some Jews that seemed like they were going to move into the new way, but they went back to Egypt in their hearts, back to the old way, which could no longer save. If they will not accept Christ, they will be lost forever. But we have been anointed by the Holy One. We are the people of God. And the promise that God made to us, we can be sure, because our hope is based in Jesus Christ. He will make sure we make it. John, in that same letter, wrote, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is our high priest who sacrificed himself. You can be encouraged. His sacrifice gives eternal life. And we have accepted this new way, the new way into the real new world. We've left our past behind and are a part of the new age in Christ. Father, the glory of this statement, it was a huge change. And it did shake the universe. And it cut between the spiritual world and the physical world. Jesus Christ died on that cross when he rose again finally a path was made we can go from here to there 
not just there, but to the throne of grace. He can step behind and beyond the curtain that separated us from you. Now we can approach you with confidence, with boldness, not because of anything in us, but because Jesus Christ died for us. And your Holy Spirit lives in us as his children. One day, one day we'll see this actualized. We'll make that new heaven and that new earth. And we will be brought into it again through Jesus Christ. Lord, that's such a glorious truth. We gotta somehow go beyond the basic ABCs, get closer and closer to you, so that we can help other people see what it means to be loved by you. Not just a feeling, it's a reality. A reality of eternal life. Help us somehow. Lord, help us somehow to show those people your place in our life, especially those that you gave us to love. Help us to show them your love through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us, maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.